Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Leadership Amplified. I'm Dr. Karen Morley, your host. I'm delighted to be bringing you another episode profiling a great leader, one who's a role model who inspires us to continue to be focusing on just what good leadership is and how to do it. My guest is Supriya Iyer who's Supply Director, Global Networking Supply Chain and Commercial Operations at Google in California. Prior to her role at Google, Supriya was Director of Process Excellence for VMware, and before that, she spent eight years with Orica in Australia. She had a variety of roles with Orica, and the final one there was General Manager, Business Excellence. Like her current role, that one was a global role with responsibility for increasing collaboration, continuous improvement, and delivering a bottom line impact. She's a master black belt and she flexed those particular muscles at GE Advanced Materials and GE Capital. Supriya has a Master's of Science with Honours in Mathematics and Information Systems and she's participated in the Stephen M. Ross School of Business Advanced Human Resource Executive Program. Supriya is passionate about building clear strategies, executing strongly and growing capable leaders with a proven track record of managing fast-paced global operations, she thrives on challenging assignments in learning organisations. I'm delighted to welcome Supriya to the episode. Supriya, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's really exciting to catch up with you again um, and to share this conversation with you today. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to talk to you and uh, yeah, discuss all things in terms of leadership, a topic that's close to both our hearts. So mm. looking forward to it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us, just to get started, Supriya, a bit about your leadership story, you know, how you started as a leader, what you think leadership is, sort of key successes and challenges you've had along the way, really what shapes and what shaped and defined your leadership. Thanks, Karen. Um, I don't know if it's a conscious leadership when that came into play, but all through my engineering kind of degree, every break, every holiday, I would work in different organizations, unpaid work, that too. Uh, <laughs> but what it did, it, it gave me exposure and it prepared me to kind of enter the workforce with my eyes open. Mm -hmm. uh, it gave me opportunities to observe good leaders and teams. And then when I moved from India to Australia, I started working as an intern in a first-year automotive company in Tari, New South Wales. Within a few months, right, I, they gave me the responsibility of managing a team. Uh, all of that team was way more experienced and older than me. I remember I was mm. all of 22. Um, I remember how grateful I was to get this opportunity, the trust that was invested in me by my sponsor, John Gaffarina, but I also, it scared me about how little I knew. Mm -hmm. So the approach I took, I really thought about if I was in their shoes, how would I like to be led, mm -hmm. right? So I approached it with acknowledging, I approached it 
now we have a term for it. We call it vulnerability. I didn't know it at that time, but I did approach it acknowledging um, that I'm going to lean on that to fill in, to guide me, to work with me, and I'm prepared to listen. So Mm -hmm. when I approach it from that kind of, you know, wanting to be part of the solution, listening, acknowledging that I didn't have to have all the answers, Yeah. right? Uh, It was more about facilitating the right conversations. We started solving problems, big and small. Uh, and we also created an environment, uh, later I would call it kind of the basis of trust and constructive conflict, where people stood up to me and told me, now maybe they felt it was easier, I was a woman, I was 22, yeah. uh, but <laughs> that really helped me to kind of refine and fine tune. Since mm. then, I must say, um, I have approached every new role uh, and challenge that same way, and it has been across three continents in very different domains and industries, right? Mm. Uh, Acknowledging that I don't know a a lot, acknowledging that I want to learn, um, asking questions, taking it from the customer perspective, asking who's the customer of our process. Mm -hmm. That takes some of the angst away when you come in as a new leader, especially. Uh, Forming that allyship with partner teams, because you work across a value chain. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there are many people who transform a product or a service before it reaches the customer. So knowing mm. who's partnering with you in that value chain becomes very important. Mm. Um, and then a part of it is giving back because um, I would not have got the roles that I got in my career if certain leaders had not invested in me. They're not mm. taking that leap of faith. And then, like I said, the, my first role at 22, I am sure I did not even need, if you looked at the job description, even 50% of what was needed. Um, So taking, being able to give that back, taking that chance in people, investing, being in their corner, strongly being in their corner and helping them achieve their kind of ambitions that they have for their career. That is something I take along with me in every leadership role. Yeah. So I'm interested just to go back to that 22 year old experience um, and a lot of challenges coming in, feeling uh, that you don't have all of the skills required and you're working with people who are more senior, more experienced um, than you are. And also they've probably got a sense of being a team. So there's a cohesion that you're walking um, into as well. And you approach that in what sounds like a really mature and sensible way without trying to kind of over deliver, but stepping in and asking those questions, which always seems like a great, you know, coaching approach um, to take for leadership. I'm wondering, how did, did you enjoy it? What was it like to be that? When did you feel like you... Um, we're developing that competency, that sense of, you know, feeling comfortable in that role. So uh, consciously, when did that transition happen? When you take it on, initially it's awkward. It's awkward for you. It's awkward for the team. But acknowledging that, staying in that discomfort, but saying it out loud and sharing that, hey, this is as strange for me as it is for you. Yeah. Right. I felt that was important. Um, And the team felt, you know, the walls came down because here was somebody who was being open, acknowledging, 
also acknowledging the cultural differences. So the team that I was working with, that was also mm. supply chain. It was people who work on the on the shop floor. So here I was with the double masters coming in, and they mm -hmm. literally told me, "This is an entirely new software." They told me, "Oh, do they give degrees out of? Uh, how do you do that by the time you're 22?" <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, opportunities are different for people." Yes. Right. And one of the things we started was, okay, now you're wherever you are in your career, you want to learn, you don't have to go to college, let's expose you to training. So we got training. So even things that are said, unsaid. So over time, I found that they were coming to me more and more. Mm -hmm. I was going to them. We were functioning as a team and the impact and results were seen. Yeah. So a very simple thing before the stock accuracy of what was in the warehouse was about 20%. Mm. And when we were kind of six months down this track, we grew a plan to get it to 98% and we, the results were 99%. So the point is that you define a roadmap as a team. You can't mm. do this alone. People mm. have to take that accountability. They have to buy into the narrative. They have to be part of the narrative. Um, so hard to say that. And that what I mean, I fell down many times, but they felt comfortable about, you know, telling me things. They are like, you do this 30 second scan where you think, no, that's not a good idea. And your body language shows it. Mm -hmm. So I said, what does that do when I do that? They said, well, then we stop. So I said, okay, so what would good look like? They said, just hear it out. Just listen. So what else, you don't always have to get it right, but what you have to get right is creating that climate where people will speak up. Yeah. They will tell you when you're wrong, the small mm. thing. Those things have helped. Those yeah. things have yeah. helped. Now you run a big, I run a big size team within Google, Google networking. So from that 22 year old who ran the supply chain, um, or it started with the more warehousing and logistics for a first year automotive company to now, those mm. are the lessons that stay with me. Yeah, yeah. So how much of uh, the, you know, the methods and the practices from 22 are actually still, they're just ingrained in what you do now? Some of it is, like a lot of it is, again, approaching with humility, I love being that kid who knows the least, asking those questions, trying to figure it out, forming those partnerships, those have stayed with me, right? But mm -hmm. along with that, I've also understood what it means to create a leadership climate, how people achieve their dreams. I'm more um, mature in how I approach that now. And, yeah. you know, very, very important thing is now to create that sense of belonging. And we'll talk a little bit more about it, I'm sure. But for me, belonging uh, and making sure that you don't just talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, mm. because those become concepts and data and you talk percentages. But when you talk about inclusion, like Indra Nui says it, it's a mindset. So mm. how do you create that inclusive mindset in your team? So those mm. are the things that I'm doing more and more of. When yeah. I was a 22 year old woman of Indian um, ethnicity, working in a small town in New South Wales to now, those things which made me feel like other, not belonging, mm. I've tried to make it part of my leadership journey to make sure more people belong. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. 
Yeah, and I'd love to come back and talk a little bit more about that. And I guess the the last thing uh, or the last question I'll ask around your leadership uh, story is that, you know, one of the things that's changed is that you've gone steps up in the hierarchy. Um, and with a bigger team, that means you've got teams of teams and various levels of leadership in the group. And one of the big challenges that people talk about is, you know, how do you manage the climate when there are so many levels? How do you make sure that, I suppose it's two things that are quite contradictory or at least compete with each other. One is that, you know, your group really does have the climate that you want it to do, that you believe in. But on the other hand, um, there's an opportunity for everyone to be uh, as skilled and developed as they can be, which means that people need to express their own leadership. Uh, it's much more complex. So, so just tell us a bit about that. I think it's creating spaces. And when you become a manager of managers or a leader, it's like you have a vantage point. It's up to you as to how do you use that vantage point effectively. You put a, mm. you know, you reach out and you pull more people up. You create the spaces. Now, everyone's needs are different. Somebody wants to stretch themselves and express their leadership through more work, take on additional things. Some get more joy out of doing what they are, but just getting better at doing that same thing. So I think it's important to listen to what mm. is important for people. Um, making sure people know you're approachable. So now I have a global team that's spread in all geograph uh, ge uh, you know, geographies and time zones. But I, again, think of them, think about it. Like mentally close your eyes, think we are all still a family gathering around the dinner table. Mm. What do you, and not everyone gets along with everyone. So, but how do you have those conversations? It's a round table, everyone has the same voice. How do we still give you back that feeling? Mm -hmm. So doing the skip level, creating those spaces, asking what is working, not working, through creating those listening posts becomes mm -hmm. very, very important. Yeah, yeah. And that sounds like besides humility, which certainly, you know, it's in the tone of your voice as well as the words that you're using, there's also that, that importance around psychological safety and and the the valuing that that people bring absolutely the psychological safety i mean you you, you know that's a term and at google we use that often right so yes uh, creating there's a lot of investment that is made in leaders to make sure you're creating a psychologically safe environment and you mm. know this when there is constructive conflict when people are speaking up and they're asking those questions very, very openly. So yeah. the, 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 the right thing is you have got a lot of examples. I see how Sundar kind of runs this meeting. It's like mm. open, it's in a cafe and you can all go and you can ask the questions and the same cascades down and that makes mm. a difference. But mm. you see, it's not directive, but leaders flexing their leadership style and most importantly, creating that safety for people to speak up. Yeah. And there's always yeah. more we can do, you know, it's never enough. So yeah. that's something I think creating that safe environment, there's so much more to do in that space. And mm. every day is, is a learning journey as part of it. Mm. Mm. It's actually very it's reassuring it. to hear you speak about that because, of course, the idea of psychological safety has been around for a while. Um, but it was Project Aristotle 
at Google that really, really catapulted it into our awareness. It's, it's done a huge service um, to our understanding of teams. And I mean, what's really interesting about that, of course, is that the focus of the research was around what makes teams effective. And it's a bit like yeah. if you look at the, the the top three things that come out are really about psychological safety. So, I mean, that was, well, was it groundbreaking? Well, no, it was just very newsworthy. And so it's fantastic to hear how that is still uh, an important part of how Google thinks about, um, you know, teams and performance. Absolutely, they do. And every year, you know, actually, I get we get rated by it a part of your performance and that's taken very very seriously if you're a manager where your people yeah. tell you what is it that you're doing well how effective is this team how effectively i mean how safe is the environment how do they feel that they can speak up and kind of mm. you know ask the questions and challenge the leader mm. so one other aspect as you become manager of managers or larger teams is creating that clarity yeah. So not yeah. all things are equal. So how do you pick and help people get that straight alignment between the top level objectives of what Google does mm. to what the team does to what what they do and how they're shaping uh, the future? So making that connect, creating that clarity, I think becomes very important because not only does it enable people, it focuses them, it makes them feel valued, but more importantly, mm. they are totally engaged because they know how their work is making a difference. Yeah, that's right. Why am I doing this? Oh, it makes sense in this way. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. So let's come back to um, that whole issue of belonging and inclusion. And we know it's become even more important since the pandemic uh, when we've been, well, some of us have been much more dispersed. Your team was already very dispersed. Um, and there's a lot more emphasis being um, played to belonging and inclusion and how, how we focus on that. I think it's because we're using different tools or we're using video conference, we're not meeting together. There's, a, I, I guess, a sense of concern about how we are really helping people to belong. So what's your take on that? Especially, I think it's quite interesting that you were already remote. So how were you doing it then um, uh, versus, you know, what, what's changed and, and what you've learned during the pandemic? Those, those, those are great questions. Again, I mean, those are the things that can continue, continue to improve constantly. But what yeah. I do is, I, first thing I do is I have a global calendar which tells me in which part of the world there is some event, festival, people are working, not working. So being mm -hmm. conscious of that and how you set up your all hands or town halls, whatever you call it, becomes yeah. important. How do mm -hmm. you set up those meetings where you need to really connect fully as a team, taking into requirements, not just the time differences, but making sure that you're not kind of impeding on anybody's you know, holiday time or time mm. with family. That is important. Second thing is actually in a way, I think Zoom or something like this normalizes it a bit. Because mm. normally you have a headquarters and everything else is a regional office. And those yeah. people are remote, whereas people in the head office are sitting around the table. Pandemic, and this has ensured all of us are, yeah. uh, you know, over Zoom or something like that, or Google Meets, like we call it, which means everybody has that same kind of the thing. So it creates more equity in a way. 
Mm. Second thing is giving people the freedom. Do you want to have your video turned on, turned off? You know, you want this time works for you, not listen to the recordings and giving that flexibility. Yeah. Asking those kind of questions that helps people to belong. If I'm a parent who has young children who has to do online lessons, this meeting time doesn't suit. It runs one more time or I can listen to the recording. So giving yeah. people that flexibility, I think mm -hmm. becomes really, uh, really important. Um, and, you know, instituting, telling people, how can I improve your well-being? Making that a conscious part of your agenda, that improves inclusion. Because mm. people are looking after old parents, young kids, they're in a small space and two mm. in a family have to attend meetings. How do you help recognizing the different needs of people? When mm. you do that, you just ask the questions. You don't have to solve it. You yeah. ask the questions and you promote well-being and you help people to disconnect, look after themselves and each other. I think that creates better, more inclusion and belonging. Yeah. I really love what you've just said. You know, it. what's important is asking the questions. You don't have to solve it. So you do have to know which questions need asking. Um, so that's the real skill or the art in that. But that that I think leaders often feel a lot of pressure and can come unstuck because they try to provide all of the answers or too many of the answers. Um, as you're saying, you you know, you've got the safe space, there's that opportunity to ask the questions. And what's wonderful about that, of course, is that people get choice then. You know, they can make a choice about when to do it, how to do it, within limits, obviously, but that sense of choice. Now, mm -hmm. as much degrees of freedom that you can give, you need to kind of probably give. And also acknowledge what you're being challenged with. Like, for mm -hmm. example, I had a major surgery, but I told the team, you know, during the pandemic, I thought, yeah, this is what's happening, and this is why, and this is what it means. The moment you open up and you share, you also create the space. So one other thing I would say, especially in these times, you never know when you're talking to people over video or something, you never know what's happening in terms of the emotional health or mental health. Yeah. So yeah. how do you create the space without being willing to share what's happening with you? Mm. So sharing that again increases psychological safety. Mm. Saying that I don't have the answers, but talk to me about how yep. we can make this better. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. Um, anything else? I mean, anything from your point of view as, you know, someone who's very skilled, of course, and experienced with your products, you know, Google Meet and those sorts of um, techniques. Is there something that you know of that people could use or some tactics that people could use um, that would really shift, if you like, their enjoyment of their connection um, or digital connection? Oh, Google Meets has a fantastic thing. I, I really enjoy that, Karen, which it really takes, it says you turn it on, you have to choose to turn it on, which says how much you are talking versus listening. So it actually says, ah, it measures you. It measures you. So if you are talking, you have exceeded, you know, 40%. And then the face gets a little bit angry kind of thing. It shows you. So you say, <laughs> okay, now let me get into a habit. If I wanted to make the shift of listening more, then how do I make this a kind of a habit mm. and, you know, do that? 
now people are in small spaces they can change their background so that you know it looks you know different or they can turn the video just doing the small kind of things where you give people that freedom mm. i think that makes using technology in a savvy fashion um, then other tools in which you can <coughs> excuse me collaborate on things uh, which normalizes like a google doc allows you to collaborate at the same time yeah. so you, yeah. it's not that you are the manager somebody else you're working on it you're all effective contributors to a new idea so mm. that takes the risk away from people that you're all collaborators it's not a manager or a leader looking at looking over yeah, the work mm. so increasing yeah. collaboration opening the doors like between the teams so to speak so they're all working together and everybody is seen as an equal partner mm. finding different ways for people so even during this time helping people feel the pain right feel others pain their own pain um if you create opportunities for them to give back to the community mm-hmm. i think that becomes finding those ways in which you can do those things together i think they yeah. come so for example we have a october challenge i know everywhere around the world people have different challenges with their team where you say we get the steps in or we do yeah. something or we do a mm-hmm. service month is just creating those fun things you know there's so many avatars so we've been doing some fun bonding sessions for the team i think it's important when mm-hmm. we're all working so hard now uh, creating those moments celebrating a baby shower someone's wedding doing those fun moments it's more time on zoom but yeah having making those connections in the absence of you know at google we have all these fantastic cafes and coffee shops and fun things so we and we are on campus um it's very easy to be a team um, mm. you know the team spirit has created so when you remote how people really miss that yeah. so once they have had it so how do you still keep that maintain that sense of yeah yeah that's one of the things i think that comes up a lot in conversations is is that that sense that yes we're missing things we're doing things differently i think one of the things that i recommend is that people think out what was your day like back in the office or however you worked uh, pre pandemic and just what do you replicate how can you replicate that so people miss the casual conversations you know the water cooler conversations well build them in you know have them um yeah. just because we're in a different space um it doesn't mean you can't have them but we've we've ended up sort of with the relentless zoom meetings and uh, we're just you know going from one meeting to the next it's it's more about hang on break up your day and i think even though we are even if we do have to use zoom or google meets um that you know make the meetings different lengths make sure there's a break in between you know have different conversations with different people so you get variety rather than um, kind of monotony yes i i think these are all fantastic ideas i think i have consciously started to tell people i'm moving from my desk i'm walking my dogs when i'm taking this beating because i didn't have to look yeah. at the screen so when i started doing that if it, others also started to say i'm going to take this for yeah. in the car when i'm dropping absolutely go for it so we mm. started to make it more the normal how are you doing your meetings today yeah you know so people started adding a little bit of fun to it and saying where they're doing their meetings you know uh, so 
and, and consciously reaching out to people. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm cutting out two hours of commute in my day. How yeah. can I use that to talk to them? Like today I'm talking to you and I'm so yeah. overjoyed because we worked together going back those six, seven years back where you were, you know, helping me be a better leader. So, uh, so I think that's important that reaching out and connecting and feeling that joy. And once you do it, you want to do more of it. Mm. You get, you that's have where you get your energy. I get an energy from connecting with people, sharing ideas. So, I mean, mm. it could be different for different people. So it's absolutely. And then when you're disconnecting from work, disconnect. Connecting. Yes. Absolutely disconnect. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I think that's very good advice. Thank you. And given your role in supply chain, I'd like to segue into that because I think, um, you know, it's not something that I'm particularly experienced in, but we're starting to see um, all sorts of shortages. We've seen how much we rely on deliveries, which is all about the global supply chain. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of uh, ubiquity of chips, for example, we have chips with everything these days, just not just on the plate, but in all of our devices, etc. And there's a, a there's a global shortage. So, as a leader in supply chain, what do you think? You know, other leaders need to be concerned about thinking about what do you think the implications will be for leaders? Oh wow, there's so many layers to it. Yes, and chips are beyond yeah. what's on your plate, and what was once fun to eat. So like I said, um, for my supply chain, there is, which is about building Google's backbone or the network, we do need those semiconductors, those chips that we really need. But more than that, what this has taught, taught us is about the transportation, the logistics kind of mm. issues that are now becoming bottlenecks because the ships, you know, it's taking time to, you know, undock those ships now. And each ship has multiple containers. So the lead times are really stretched, right? So mm. the planning horizons have changed. So that if business felt that they needed to plan for the next quarter or the next six months, now your planning horizons have shifted to 12 plus months, 18 months. Mm. Um, yeah. Before we thought we could be a global economy where you could rely on materials coming from other regions, getting manufactured somewhere else. Now it is also shifting to being more, um, you know, being able to rely locally as well. So mm -hmm. what can you get in your region? Um, it is also kind of making you think that you need diversity in your suppliers. So for example, mm -hmm. you can no longer have a single vendor or supplier for something. You need to have multiple and you need to work in partnerships, invest in them, which means you need to tell them your demand way ahead of time. You have to be able to shape your demand to meet the supplier where it is. Mm -hmm. you, you, you understand about constraints much more now. So how do you work in this right environment? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And you cannot do the traditional customer supplier relationship. It is now more partnership ever so more than before. And it's also forcing governments, whether it be in Australia or in the US, to say locally bring back the manufacturing. Yeah. So you're not reliant yeah. on one part of the world. Uh, so what is it that we choose to make uh, manufactured locally that is so needed now um, that we are now like hamstrung because of this, right? 
so a lot of those kind of what I say weaknesses or bottlenecks are getting revealed. And we are thinking about uh, the geopolitical situation. We are thinking about the long transportation and saying, how do we cut those down? Um, and supply chains to be resilient have to also adapt to the need of the hour before it was just in time when you knew where everything is coming. So you, you could pull, create that pull. Now what we are saying is that you need to also buffer for things like this. So how do you have the flexibility to buffer at different levels so mm. that you do not put your whole system into stress because you don't have enough materials? Mm. Yeah, so the, that's fascinating. So many implications for organization strategies uh, and new product um, development, um, let alone continuing supply. Um, and how, you know, is this a blip? You know, this is a little blip. We've had COVID, we'll sort of move from pandemic to endemic and we'll get back on track. Um, you've suggested that need to refocus around local manufacturing. So, do you think it's a blip? What do you think? What do you think will happen? I think there will be different challenges coming down. Say, so all of 22 is going to be just this, but it has taught us that we've got to be more flexible and adaptable. Mm. Um, the way we are doing today is not going to continue. We never even thought about these risks, and when these risks came through we found that no, we did not have, we had not thought through it end to end. So I think um, it may not be this challenge, but there will be different challenges. Um, there will be different risks and de-risking is going to be an ongoing journey and that's gonna force us to think innovatively. It's gonna force us to think differently on how we do it. More simple, scalable, modular design and everything that we mm -hmm. do in our products is going to be key because you cannot afford to have those unicorn designs that require you to have a certain material that comes from a certain manufacturer because you're creating so many points of failure in that journey that it's, um, it's just not worth it. So mm -hmm. very simple, scalable design, being very conscious about how you do new product uh, introduction or end of life, making sure that you create a supply chain that the transportation and the logistics is kind of less and you make sure that mm. there is something that helps you to replicate quickly. Those are some mm. of the challenges uh, that every industry, whether you manufacture toys or whether you manufacture, you know, you build the network. I mean, every supply chain is having to think about these mm. things. That's a very mm. interesting one. I was just watching a video on Care Bears and you think it's a Care Bear, you know, what's <laughs> a big deal? You look at that supply chain and you think, mm. oh my God, how complex is this? Yeah. 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 You know, how widespread is it? How reliant is it on different parts of the world and so much, um, so many steps to just make a care bear? Um, mm. And then you realize that, yes, the world has become very global. Maybe it's mm. time to think about what do you do locally versus what do you do globally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you, we started this conversation really with a focus around, you know, the customer. In, you know, are customer expectations going to continue to drive, you know, supply on demand, we need it now, we need it quickly, um, and sort of keep pushing that short cycle time? Or do you see any change in consumer demand? 
whether it's consumer or business demand, I think people mm -hmm. understand, but people still want it. So if you don't have yes. it, somebody <laughs> yes. else who has a more resilient, more flexible, adaptable uh, kind of supply will kind of meet that demand. So mm. uh, I think that is not going to change. So right mm. now we are also in a very heavy growth period, and then we have a constrained supply chain. So it is just a matter of how do you decouple so that you take away some of the risk and you still meet the customer where they are and where they want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so customer, customer remains demand key. is not going to mm. go. The consumer mm. demand is not going to go. Uh, it is there. So we just need to think about it differently. We need to mm. think differently. We need to be very creative in how we solve for it. Um, and what we have been doing until today is not going to work. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a great. time to think Thank differently. You. And I was, you know, it's like I was just reading this Adam Grant's book, Think Again. And yes, think differently. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, 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 it's, you know, it's those things where you find uh, different solutions or put a spin on uh, how could I do this differently if I had to do so fantastic kind of use cases for us to look into and think, yeah. um, think broadly and learn from each other because some supply chains some industries have done better than others. Mm, yeah. So it's a very exciting, if challenging time for, for the world of supply. Uh, and just as we finish up the conversation, uh, I'm interested to come back to, to leadership and to think about, you know, where to next for you? Not in terms of jobs or careers. No, 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 I wasn't. I was thinking more in terms of leadership. I think it is more uh, important as we do this to create more leaders. And how do you do that? You invest where you see potential. Uh, women still, I'm finding that as you come to the top of the pyramid, there are fewer women, for example. There are fewer uh, people of color, whether it be black, whether it be Latinx, especially since I'm now based out of the US, I see that more. So, it, or when you, I was in Australia, it's like, how do you get more indigenous communities mm. you know, being part of that workforce? How do you create yeah. opportunities for them? Uh, because mm -hmm, the experience of women or black, Latinx, indigenous people, people, diverse people is different. And that mm. makes, and when they become leader, they bring those experiences and they create a fantastic climate. So how do you tap into that potential? So yeah. for me, Karen, the, what keeps me awake is not solving for the supply chain challenge because I know I've got a great team and they will solve for it, right? I remember mm -hmm. we started with not needing to know all the answers, but it yeah. is about how do you create a bench of more leaders? How do you create this mm -hmm. space? How do you create a slate where more people want to be leaders and take up those yeah. leadership positions? And the yeah. more diversity, the better. Mm. Yeah. What are you finding in terms of people wanting to move into leadership roles? Is that, you know, is there a, a, a lot of people who want to do that or, you know, people talk about different generations? I'm not quite sure of how different the generations really are. Um, but are you seeing changes in appetite for leadership? I think people, when they have an experience with a good leader, they do want to be good leaders, right? They want to take up those leadership because they want to give back. Mm. I think yeah. paid forward is definitely, I think all of us have that sense. So when they experience good leadership, people want to kind of pay it forward. They want to be, they want to emulate and then they want to pay it forward. So I think, yes, people want to grow, learn, support 
you know, uh, the leadership journey of others. So yes, there is that appetite to be leaders. Second thing is we need more technical leadership as well, right? So domain expertise. So mm -hmm. while you bring all of this of being a good people leader, you need to bring the domain expertise, which means again, we need more people getting into STEAM or even STEM, right? More into science yeah. and technology, because those are the spaces that we are not seeing enough leadership that is very emotionally intelligent. Um, mm. So that those are the spaces where you want to see that kind of leadership with really yeah. high EQ and IQ. Yeah. yeah. And I think women will be fantastic. So it is about how do we bring uh, more women into those kind of roles, right? Uh, mm -hmm. For me, uh, I don't have, again, all the answers, but that, those are the things I'm exploring as well. How do we bring mm -hmm. more women to take up careers in technology um, and, and to choose to lead people? It's a service. So, you know, you've got to really want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, that's a really important point about leadership. It is a service we are wonderfully aligned on that it's, it's not about your own ego it's about what you can do for it others isn't. actually you can leave the ego at the door it's a most humbling it's like parenthood sometimes i think it's humbling uh when you have to take care of a child as a parent as a guardian as an aunt or an uncle uh and it's a privilege so again you know how do we talk about this in a space that encourages more people. I think, again, uh, you see the underrepresented groups, they don't put their hand up for leadership as much mm. as mm. the dominant group. So how do you get more of the people putting their hand up and taking on that responsibility? Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like a fabulous service that you do, not just for leadership right now, but leadership for the future. Um, Sapria, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to have the conversation with you today. I really appreciate your insights and your wisdom. So thank you for, for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me to uh, for this conversation, Karen. I enjoyed the podcast and I would love to hear from people who have got solutions, better solutions than what we talked about today to some of these challenges and opportunities, I should say. So thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Supriya.